In the beginning of Vayera, God tells Moshe to deliver the prophecy of liberation to the Israelites by saying, Say therefore to the Israelite people, I am Yodhevavhe. I will free you from the labors of the Egyptians and deliver you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and through extraordinary chastisements. The prophecy is two-pronged, that of the outstretched arm, the power of the saving force of God reaching out, presumably to the Israelites, to lend them a hand, to pull them out, and also the method of the extraordinary chastisements, shvatim gedolim, which will be the plagues. Shvatim, the judgments of a shofet, of a judge, of the proper leader, will be executed against Pharaoh and the Egyptians as an equally important part of the liberation itself. After the Israelites, quote, would not listen to Moses, their spirits crushed by cruel bondage, unquote, God sends him to Pharaoh, at which point Moses does his best to again avoid God's service, as we saw earlier, this time claiming he is Aram Sfataim, of impeded lips. At the heart of Moshe shirking the task of delivering prophecy to the king of Egypt is a pun. His prophecy is to tell Pharaoh of the extraordinary punishments coming his way, of the shvatim. But his excuse from service is his shvatayim, his speech. Moshe's avoidance of service, of delivering a prophecy of judgment of Adonai to a non-Hebrew king is reminiscent of the dogma, the example of this, the model of such avoidance the prophet Jonah. In the book of Jonah, and we can't help but feel the parallel here, it doesn't take Jonah long to avoid service. The first sentence of the book is the title of the book. And in the very next sentence is God's command to Jonah to go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim judgment upon it, for their wickedness has come before me. And therefore, right away, the second sentence, not including the title, is Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's service. He's on a ship going the other way by the end of the sentence. At least Moshe tried to offer an excuse not to deliver judgment. In Jonah's do-over, success in proclaiming God's extraordinary judgments upon Nineveh is immediate. When God gives him the second chance, quote, Jonah started out and made his way into a city of three days walk with just one day's walk and started proclaiming 40 days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. It says, the people of Nineveh believe God. They proclaimed a fast, and great and small alike put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he immediately rose from his throne, took off his robe, put on sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Everyone, even the cattle, do a fast of atonement. Frankly, the whole thing happens so fast that it reads to me anyway, like a Monty Python version of the Bible. We somehow see, I don't know, Jonah saying, maybe Eric Idle saying, our God proclaims you will suffer your just punishments. And immediately someone, maybe Michael Palin says, oh, I didn't know. All right, then we'll change this right away. And cue next shot, the cows are wearing sackcloth and ashes. 
And then Terry Gilliam, perhaps, is God saying, oh, well, then cancel the plagues. And John Cleese and some folks dressed like plagues, throwing down their scripts in disgust at having their parts canceled. It says in the Torah, God saw what they did, how they were turning back from their evil ways, and God renounced the punishment God had planned to bring upon them and did not carry it out. Jonah is understandably upset. It says this displeased Jonah greatly, and he was grieved. The moment we've been waiting for from the opening of the story arrives, he explains why he avoided God's service in those opening sentences. He says, this is what I said to myself at the beginning, why I fled to Tarshish, because you are El Rachum Fachanun. You are the God of compassion and mercy who renounces punishment. And in what is surely the most melodramatic statement of a prophet back to God, Jonah continues, just kill me now. We have parallel universes here in Jonah and Vaera, and their contrast perhaps illuminates the darkness in our parasha of God hardening Pharaoh's heart so that the Egyptians and Pharaoh experience every last suffering or at least the measurement of the extraordinary sufferings and punishments before the people go free. And also the Hebrews experience it happening and all of us readers, we witness it and we learn from it. How do we understand a God who seemingly prevents Pharaoh's letting the people go by it seems being the one occasionally, not always, occasionally responsible for hardening Pharaoh's resolve not to capitulate. God says, I will harden Pharaoh's resolve and he will not listen to you. So has God prevented someone from exercising free will? And is that fair? Is that cruel because of its consequences? Isn't the path of Teshuvah open to all as in Jonah? The commentator Dina Weiss helpfully reminds us of a false assumption here. The plagues are not a judgment, a consequence of Pharaoh's failing to let the people go. They are a judgment for a different crime, that of the grave injustice of persecuting a people for decades, for centuries. And second, there is an educational goal here the connection of cause and consequence, not just for Pharaoh. He will never get it. He is not the audience, but all the enablers, the collaborators, the silent assenters, they are the audience. The universe will not and should not permit such action without judgment. And the Hebrews themselves must learn this teaching and every reader must learn this teaching. And in this way, the stories of Jonah and Moshe stand in stark contrast. In Jonah, there is no slavery. There is no long-term oppression, no centuries of it. And the king of Nineveh did serious teshuvah. The pattern of Pharaoh, whose heart is normally hardened by himself, is to make a gesture toward the right way and then wink and take it back. Are there times when it is not enough for the violence to stop and the king to step down and for all of us to move on? 
Is there a time when a week of fasting does not atone for the crime? When a week of sending in a resignation letter or casting a vote or making a phone call of concession does not absolve one of the oppression that underlies it all? Shown in a mixed multitude that celebrates centuries of oppression and a flag based on that itself, the elimination of the voice of other citizens and unholy alliances. If you're like me, I am torn between Vaera and Jonah. We want Jonah when we want to say, let's move on already. If the people can go, if the Pharaoh can grant us this one thing after a little duress, then our divine mission is accomplished and we need to move forward. And there are times for that. There are times for moving on without the weight of revisiting the past. But is it sometimes too soon to love, to forgive, and to move on? I am mindful of Martin Luther King. You forgive, but you don't forget, he accuses us of. He's accusing us of not a real love. It's a love that is earned all of the way around. It is not the love of, okay, and we'll just move on. Pharaoh's crimes were not just preventing the moving on. They were crimes against God. They were crimes against humanity. And everyone who refused to stand up in Egypt, and not because of conscience, but because usually of the preservation of their political influence and their personal benefit, and thus betrayed their oaths and the laws of God and humanity. It's offensive on some level for people to make statements that blame the violence on people rather than on the allowance of guns. And then we find them cowering in a chamber and demanding the installation right away of metal detectors. And suddenly a wink in a time maybe, at least for them, when it comes home to roost, to think in a different way. Capitulating to make things move on is not teshuvah. It's not repentance and it's not restorative justice. Every year when we visit this parsha, many of us feel rage at God's hardening Pharaoh's heart some of the time. It doesn't seem fair when the goal we think is the event of the Exodus. But maybe this year we can hear the words in a different way. Maybe Torah is trying to get us to hear something else, something those who don't hear as a rule need to hear. Extraordinary judgments, the judgments of a judge, the judgments of the law are required for extraordinary injustice where there is no God at all. Shabbat Shalom.